I bet you're wondering why I'm down here on the floor, huh? Yeah, Nate is. It's actually because I'm much wider than Jonas. I need more room to move around. So we're going to get that out of the way. I want to be down here. We're going to, we're going to understand today that we're all on a level playing field, okay? I don't want to feel like I'm preaching at, but I, I am in this with you guys. I want to, I want to say good morning to my, my South Wilson Campus Church family. I'm thankful for the opportunity to be with you today in this capacity. Uh, I want to share just a little bit about myself before... Before I jump in, uh, my name is Luke. I am the worship pastor here at Valley Creek. Many, many of you have known me for many years. Uh, in fact, some of you have played large roles in my life over, over many, diff- in many different capacities. And it may shock some of you to know that Tracy Bowen was actually in my wedding. Yeah, Tracy Bowen was in my wedding. And, uh, and his, his, his wife, Jeannie, uh, has for many years been like a third mom to me. Uh, mainly because my mom has a twin, so um, um, so you would be a close second. So <laughs> don't blame you. Uh, I was married here at Valley Creek 15 years ago. The other campus, though. Sorry, I should specify. 15 years ago, and my wife Nicole and I. Nicole is joining joining us here today. Uh, we we have four beautiful little ones: the three boys, one little girl, uh, who is my princess and. Again, many of you know some of those things about me, but if you don't know, my, my children are, I have a 13-year-old son, an 11-year-old son, 7-year-old little girl, and then we have a wrecking ball who is, who is two years old. Uh, I, I want to, before we jump too far into the message, I want to apologize. This isn't a typical speaking voice for me over the last couple of days. I have, uh, I have acquired uh, some kind of a crud, so uh, thank you, Kentucky, for the, for the allergies. Uh, so if I sound kind of weird today, I am sorry. But we're not going to let that bother us, right? We're going to move forward. So last October, uh, the staff met for a planning session at Vibe uh, in Hodgenville. Um, we were discussing some preaching schedules and possible sermon series and, and some things like that. And I, I felt with everything that was in me that God had placed it on my heart uh, that I needed to preach uh, for many of you that know me, you know that, in fact, that is not me. That's not who I am. I am not someone that's going to ask to get up and speak in front of a crowd of adults, mainly because it's terrifying. Um, you guys are terrifying, um, but in a good way. Uh, but for those of you that truly know me, you understand that I am pushing my limits today to be here. So back, back to my story. I felt... Like I had a message, I had something to say, so I wrestled with it for a bit. What was it? I mean, surely the God, the God who created me he knows that I get tongue-tied when I'm speaking between songs or when I'm trying to transition to a different part of a song or whatever the case may be that calls me to use a speaking voice rather than simply playing a guitar. It's terrifying, and at times it can be debilitating. Uh, side note, funny story. I preached this, this message a couple of weeks ago at Springfield Road and actually thought I had a stroke right there at that point. I was, I was on stage and literally was like, it. And it was a big awkward pause. and Everybody laughed and I was like, that wasn't even a joke. It really is debilitating at times. Where are my anxiety folks at? Anybody? Yeah. So you all know what I feel like sometimes. Uh, but it is debilitating. And, but, but for some reason, I, I felt like I had something to say. So... Again, I wrestled, I wrestled with it for a bit, and I began to tell the guys. I was telling Jonas uh, and Jacob and, and Andrew at the time, and, and you know the, the ones who I 
thought were the ones who were really qualified to preach, I began to tell them that I think I had a message that was put on my heart and that I needed to get it out. But I put it off. Um, Another nugget (laughs) or side note for you all, I'm not the kind of person who will procrastinate or just put things off. In fact, I can be quite headstrong. I think my wife can attest to that a lot of times. Uh, And I want things done right away. Uh, Unless I am overwhelmed or apparently it's the most important thing in my life, I can put it off. But uh, I can have a tendency to keep things at bay until it is absolutely go time. Anybody else a procrastinator? Good, I'm not alone. i got some anxious people who procrastinate with me today. Um, now that you know a little about me, we'll move forward. So Pastor Scott comes back, and we, we begin to start looking ahead. And I shared with him that I think I have a sermon to preach on worship. Right? And apparently, my time was up. I wasn't able to push it off anymore, so we started planning for a time that I could get this message off of my chest, and due to my outstanding ability to communicate with my wife, the first opportunity for me to share just happened to be immediately after our planned vacation and youth camp. Uh, So you guys get round two. Could be really good or really bad, okay? But I believe with everything, in all seriousness, I believe with everything that is in me that God has a word for us today. Not because I am anything special. Rather, because I felt a desire, I felt a call to speak about worship to the church. And many roadblocks have hindered the path of my getting here today. And in a way, that's a good thing. So I've, I've prayed this week, just like many weeks before, that we are open and that we are receptive to what God wants to say to us today. So, y'all ready to go? Yeah, I had somebody ask me the last time I did this if I was ready, and I was like, I sure hope so, but we'll see. All right, so if you've been here the last several weeks, you are aware that we have started a sermon series called? Just like we practiced, thank you. This verse changed my life. A few weeks ago, Pastor Scott talked about uh, the context of Philippians 4.13, and he noted how we often use Paul's encouragement out of its design context to benefit our current situation. We also heard Pastor Jonas confess that he was like a kid in a candy store trying to pick just one piece of candy when it came to noting a single verse that changed his life as he had been shaped heavily by several verses combined in his personal life and in his ministry. We heard a great quote from Tim Keller that, Christians need to hear the gospel every day because the gospel is what sustains us. Amen? The gospel is what keeps us from sin. The gospel keeps us from despair. And the gospel destroys our pride. I am thankful for the messages over the last several weeks because they allow for a smooth transition right into where we are going today. If you could think back with me from a few weeks ago when Pastor Jonas actually points out that our identity should be found where? Are we excited about that? I know, guys, it's rained for like a month. We're all tired. But our identity should be found in Christ. That's right. Uh, At the very least, we should do everything we can to find our identity in Christ. He moves on to tell us that we worship Jesus for what he has done. Amen? Aren't you thankful today for Jesus? All right, so we're going to jump into where we're going today. If you have your Bibles, if you would turn to John chapter 4, we're going to stand for the reading of God's Word this morning. 
John chapter 4. We're going to read a big chunk, 4 uh, verses 1 through 24. I'll give you guys just a moment to turn there and stand. It'll be on the screen also. It's a, it's a big, big chunk. Now, here we go. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, Ask for a drink from me, a, a woman of Samaria. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well, and he drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you now, now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, and this is, this is where we'll, we'll camp just a little bit today. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in and in truth. Let's pray. Father God, I come to you today knowing that there is nothing good in me other than you. God, I pray today that your word pierces hearts. God, that we are open to your moving. Holy Spirit, I pray that your words are conveyed, not mine. Father, allow me to speak clearly and boldly for you. Amen. You guys can have a seat. All right, so about a, about a month ago, my family and I had the opportunity to take a trip to the most magical place on earth. Uh, my wife had done months of studying, and she was utilizing uh, artificial intelligence and algorithms like Elon Musk to, to, make, to ensure that this trip was jam-packed with all of the things. 
uh, all the experiences because it wasn't a normal trip. Does anybody want to guess where we were going? To Disney, yeah. Uh, You have to understand something about me. That Disney's not a vacation. Um, It's a trip, right? A vacation to Luke is a beach with uh, the ocean breeze and uh, just sunglasses and sand and stuff like that. But so anyways, the, the kids... The kids are riding rides, and everybody is for sure having a magical time. And we get to our second or third night there, and we make our way to the show. How many of you have been to Disney, first of all? Yeah, good. Uh, Many more here than at the other campus, so you guys may actually know what I'm talking about. We make our way to the show Fantasmic. Anybody seen Fantasmic? Yeah? Now, if you've never heard of Fantasmic, it is a nighttime live show, and it's basically a journey through Mickey Mouse's imagination that culminates in a battle against Disney villains, okay? Another way to say it is this. We get a glimpse into Mickey Mouse's dreams that are trying to be hijacked by Ursula. We know who Ursula is, right? And Jafar from Aladdin. And you get the picture, right? Evil is trying to steal Mickey's dream. But when Mickey realizes that it's his dream... When that mouse steps onto the scene, can anybody tell me what happens when that, when that mouse shows up during the Fantasmic show? I hear some whisper. What is it? Yeah, but what does the crowd do? They go crazy, right? They go crazy. This crowd goes wild. They erupt with joy because good is about to win, Right? Evil is done, and the people go wild for a man dressed in a rubber mouse costume. (laughs) And then it hit me that I was one of those people. A a big 38-year-old bearded man. I was one of those people that was just erupting for joy. But in all seriousness, the the phantasmic arena, it holds right under 10,000 people. Uh, and, and when I looked across that crowd and I saw everybody going crazy for this show, it, re- it really did hit me that we are a people that are created to worship. Let me say that again. I didn't hear anybody say amen. We are a people that are created to worship. There we go. I promise it'll get a lot better if we, if we dialogue back and forth. Who we worship or what we worship is strictly based on what we choose to make our priority. Oof. That should hit us, right? I love the the, the NLT, the New Living Translation version of of Romans 11.36. I think I have that up there, Marita. Uh, It says this, For everything comes from Him and exists by His power and is intended for His glory All glory to him forever. Amen. What a powerful testament to the glory of God to see, to read, and to understand that everything comes from him. It exists because of him and is intended to bring him glory. I'll say this again. We we were created to worship. One woman discovers this and it changes her life and the lives of others in her community. Many of us are familiar with the story that we read in John 4. Jesus meets this woman, he chats with her, and they talk a little bit about the theological differences between the Jews and the Samaritans, on where to worship, on living water, and how she's had five husbands. But there's so much more to the story. 
How many of us have heard the story of the Samaritan woman at the well? In John chapter 4, the characteristics of God are on full display. We get to see more of who he is and what he's like and even what our response to those attributes should be. I want to set the stage with a little bit of historical and cultural context. The Jewish people hearing this story would have heard and seen much more than we do in a Western world. Where you and I are taught to read and ask a lot of times, what does the scripture teach me about me or how does this apply to my life? How can we make it applicable? Uh, the Jewish people and the people in the East read biblical texts and they ask the question, what does this teach me about God? Uh, who he is and, and what he is like. And both are great questions. And in fact, I would encourage you to ask both when studying scripture. But again, they would have been wondering, what does this teach me about God? Their ears would have perked up when they heard that he had to go through Samaria because nothing good happens on those roads. It's dangerous and deadly even. When Jesus steps onto the scene, there had been about 700 years of hate growing between the Jewish people and the Samaritans. Not long after King Solomon's reign, the kingdom of Israel divided with Israel to the north and Judah to the south where Jerusalem and the temple was located. Eventually, the northern kingdom of Israel would be taken over by the Assyrians. God had mandated that his people not intermarry with the pagan people around them, but many of the Israelis did just that. And when you mix the Jewish people and the Assyrians, you get the Samaritans. Is anybody asleep yet? No? Okay. They were half Jews, and while they worshipped God and adhered to Jewish customs, there were differences. Differences that made it dangerous for them to try to go to Jerusalem and worship. The hate between the groups grew so bad, the Samaritans ended up building another place to worship. And at one point in history, they even desecrated each other's temples. Not only were the Samaritans despised by the Jewish people and vice versa, the fact that Jesus is talking to a woman also gives the listener a pause. A woman... A Samaritan woman, and she's alone at a well at noon. This tells us that she is an outcast already. The Middle East is a very communal culture, and they don't do things alone. So we know that there's something up with this woman. There's also the problem of her gender. In this time in history, women were considered property, and they were subordinate to men in every way. By law, they were not able to even uh, be allowed to testify in court because their words couldn't be trusted. Men were taught not to talk to, the, to women a lot, not even their own wives in many cases. And they were, they were taught that even the spit of a Samaritan woman was unclean. One more cultural consideration. Women at this time were not able to divorce their husbands. Only the husband had the right to do so. And some believed that they could divorce their wife for anything, uh, even as little as burning their bread. So being a woman was bad enough. Being a Samaritan woman, a Samaritan woman who, had, uh, who we know had been married five different times, even worse yet, the story still is that Jesus had to go through Samaria, right? So there was a reason for it. So we'll pick back up in, in John chapter 4. So Jesus is leaving Judea down in the southern region of Judah and has to go back north to Galilee. The quickest route is through Samaria. 
He's tired, and he takes a break at noontime at Jacob's well. Sees the woman coming to the well, and he says to her in verse 6, what's he say? He says, please give me a drink. In verse 9, the woman was surprised. Of course she was, because she was a woman, a Samaritan woman. They begin to have this conversation surrounding water, and she's obviously curious, what is living water? Look at verses 13 and 14. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And she says to him in verse 15, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Looking at this and knowing that we were created to worship, there is something in us, there is something in her, a longing. There is a knowing that there is more and there is. The first thing that, that I want you to know about being made to worship is this. It's that it is relational. Worship is relational. Jesus is inviting us into a relationship with him. He is the one that is doing the doing. He's the one that approached her. He's the one that approaches you and I, inviting us to drink of this living water, this eternal life, by following him. Amen? Let's continue reading verses 16 through 18. He tells her to go ahead and get her husband. And she says she doesn't have one. And he says, that's right, you've had five, and the man you're now living with isn't your husband. And let's remember here what we know now, that women couldn't divorce men at this time, right? The woman isn't a man-eater. She's a woman who has been left five times, leaving her open and vulnerable in their society. Jesus is not shaming her. He's calling out the source of the shame and the pain that she feels. But why is he doing that? Anybody want to guess? I got all day. That's because it's who he is. And that's what he's like. So we were made to worship. And we know that Jesus is relational and our worship is relational but it's also transformational. Let me say it again. Our worship is transformational. Our worship of Jesus, when we follow him, it will transform us. And we're about to see it happen in this woman's life. And many of us today can attest to the transformation that happens when we decide to worship Jesus and follow him. When he calls out the source of your pain and your shame and he says, I see you, it's transforming. Maybe you're like this Samaritan woman. And your pain and your shame come from a similar situation to hers. Or maybe you're here and your pain and your shame comes from somewhere else. Somewhere else deep inside. Understand me this morning. Jesus is saying to you, child, I see you. He sees your pain. He sees your hurt. He sees your shame, and he wants to transform you today. Let's keep reading. Verses 19 and 20. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. 
it seems here like she's trying to change the subject, but Jesus is like, no, I'm not done transforming you yet. I'm not done working in your life. And so she's bringing up some theological differences here between the Jews and the Samaritans, but Jesus doesn't rebuke her. What does he do? Like a big nerd, he talks theology with her. He talks theology with her. Their conversation evolves or it unfolds right along in the scripture, right in front of us, into one of my favorite topics as a worship pastor. You might want to guess what that is? Man, y'all are quiet. It's worship. Not like a battleship, like a warship, but worship, right? So, <coughs> excuse me, let's look at 4, 21 through 24, where I said we were going to camp out a little bit. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Then verse 24, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. All right, now here's where I get in trouble. Y'all ready? While a lot has been written on what it means to worship God in spirit and in truth, I want to say this. And this is, this is where I began to realize that I have been wrong for so many years. Uh, the, the point isn't where we worship. Now, I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about religion and all these other man-made concepts. This, this is what I'm talking about. The point is that we will worship. It's not where we worship. It's that we do worship because it's the correct response from us because of who God is. Let me say it like this. It doesn't matter if I worship right here. It doesn't matter if I worship right here, right? It doesn't matter what the style of music is. Oops. It doesn't matter if we have padded chairs or pews. It doesn't matter if we have LED lights. None of that matters. What matters is that we what? Is that we worship. All right. In spirit and in truth. And I, I want to say it boldly here because this is, again, this is it's part of my life that for years I struggled with because I felt like worship was limited to that hour on Sunday morning. Even smaller, the music part of that hour, that was our worship, Right? But I want to boldly proclaim this right here. Worship is a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. It's not an hour of your time on a Sunday. Listen to this, verses 25 and 26. The woman said to him, I know that that the Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Did you catch what just happened? Who is Jesus? He says, I am. I am the Messiah. He's telling her that he is God. He's the chosen one to come and make all things right, to undo the curse. And this is the first time in John's account that we see Jesus revealing his his identity. And who is he telling it to? A lowly Samaritan woman. 
Worship, again, this lifestyle that I'm talking about, is the correct response to a God who loves like this. Who shows such honor to someone in such a lowly place in society. Can you imagine what this woman felt like? Our worship is relational, our worship is transformational, but also our worship is missional. Let's look at what happens next in verses 28 through 30. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. And then down in 39, listen to this. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. Did you catch that? A woman whose testimony wasn't even valid in this time, who was to be considered unreliable, she goes and she tells her village about Jesus, and because of her testimony, they believed. Our worship will cause us to go and share this great news. It is missional. Our worship will cause us to go, because I've said it a couple of times before already, but you may have guessed it, it's another correct response to who God is. Amen? Our worship is relational, it's transformational, our worship is missional, and lastly, our worship is, form is formational. When we worship God, it helps us form a right perspective on who he is in comparison to who we are. He is good. He is faithful. He is true. He is just. He is perfect. He is all-loving. He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. And he is always near. And we are not. Let me try that again. We are not, but he loves us anyways. He is so worthy of our worship. Worship with our songs, yes. Worship with our words, yes. Worship with our actions and worship with our lives. The woman at the well met Jesus and she learned firsthand that worship is relational. It's transformational. It's missional and formational. And many of you here today know that also. If I were to summarize the applicable lessons that we have learned over the last several weeks, I could wrap them up uh, in, in this short clip from Pastor Alistair Begg. Some of you may have seen it. Uh, some of you may have not. But it's one of my favorites. And uh, honestly, if I may play it every time I preach. We'll see. But if you guys would, just take a couple minutes and turn your attention to the screens. And let's, let's watch this video. Without the preaching of the cross... Without preaching the cross to ourselves all day and every day, we will very, very quickly revert to faith plus works as the ground of our salvation. So that to go to the old uh, Fort Lauderdale question, if you were to die tonight and, and, and you were getting entry into heaven, what would you say? 
if you answer that, and if I answer it in the first person, we've immediately gone wrong. Because I, because I believed, because I have faith, because I am this, because I am continuing. Loved ones, the only proper answer is in the third person, because he, because he. Think about the thief on the cross. And what an immense, I I can't wait to find that fellow one day to ask him, how did that shake out for you? Because you were, you were, you were, you were cussing the guy out with your friend. You'd never been in a Bible study. You never got baptized. You never, you didn't know a thing about church membership. And, and yet, and yet you made it. You made it. How did you make it? That's what the angel must have said, you know, like, what are you doing here? Well, I don't know. What, what do you mean you don't know? Well, because like, I don't know. Well, you know, we, uh, did you, excuse me, let me get my supervisor. They go get the supervisor, Angel. So we have just a few questions for you, first of all. Are you, are, you, are, you, are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? <laughs> the guy said, I've never heard of it in my life. And, and what about, uh, let's just go to the doctrine of Scripture immediately. This guy's just staring. And eventually in frustration, he says, on, on what basis are you here? And he said, the man on the middle cross said, I can come. <laughs> now, now, that's the... That is the only answer. That is the only answer. And if I don't preach the gospel to myself all day and every day, then I will find myself beginning to trust myself, trust my experience, which is part of my fallenness as a man. If I take my eyes off the cross, I can then give only lip service to its efficacy, while at the same time living as if my salvation depends upon me, and as soon as you go there, it will lead you either to abject despair or a horrible kind of arrogance. And it is only the cross of Christ that deals both with the dreadful depths of despair and the pretentious arrogance of the pride of man that says, you know, I can figure this out and I'm doing wonderfully well. No, because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free for God the justice satisfied to look on him and pardon me. That's why Luther says most of your Christian life is outside of you in this sense. That we know that we're not saved by good works. We're not saved as a result of our professions, but we're saved as a result of what Christ has achieved. Amen. Did you hear it? Did you hear the message in that? We need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. Every day. Without it, our pride takes over. And from there... We worship God because of what He has done, because of the Christ, of the cross, I'm sorry, because of who He is. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul was counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on Him and pardon me. It's nothing that I have done, 
It's nothing that you have done. There is no good in me. Just like there is no good in you. We worship because it's the correct response for what he has done. Some of you here today, you haven't encountered Jesus and you can't worship him. You can't truly worship him because you do not know him. Please understand that it is possible to have an emotional experience and still not know who, who Christ is. Others here today, you do know who he is, but your worship is hindered. Your Monday, your Tuesday, your Wednesday, your Thursday, your Friday and your Saturday lifestyle, it doesn't prepare you for our Sunday gatherings. Would you let your lifestyle become one of worship? Would you let your worship be relational, affecting not only your relationship with God, but also those around you? Let it be transformational. Let it take you from where you were or even where you are to where God wants you to be. Let it be so missional that you can't help but tell others of what he has done. And let it form you into the one that God has called you to be. And as the, as the worship team comes up, we're going to land the plane here a little bit. I want to make it very, very clear to you today that we are all sinners and we fall short of the glory of God. But, G, but he made a way, God made a way for us by sending Jesus to die on the cross. And if we believe this in our hearts and we confess with our mouths, he is faithful to save you. If you need Jesus, there's no better time than now to receive him. Or if you need to maybe even come and fall at this altar and confess today that your worship has been hindered, why not come and lay that burden down and rekindle the flame? And others today have maybe even been visiting and maybe looking for a church home. Now is the time to join in with what God is doing at Valley Creek. Whatever decision that you need to make today, follow God's will for your life and don't wait one more moment. Let's pray. Father God, you are, you are so good. God, you are so worthy of all of our worship. And today, God, I pray that we are aware of why we worship. God, that we allow your moving in our lives to take our worship to a place where it is everything as you have intended it to be. God, I pray that you are knocking on the doors of our hearts. Lord, let us drop our pride and answer. God, this invitation time is yours. Do with it as you will. It's in your holy name I pray. Amen.